0: Good morning, good evening, Um, happy midday, midnight, wherever you are in the world, listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 16. Now, it's probably Friday or Saturday, wherever you are, Um, Easter long weekend in Australia. So we actually pre-recorded a little bit earlier than usual. It's only Monday pre-recording, but this podcast, we are keeping the schedule to go out sort of Friday, Saturday schedule. We have some good news in that we are probably going to go weekly very soon with some very special regular guests, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, Coming up on the show, as usual, is my co-host on the organs, um, James Peter, co-founder of 89N and lead developer, CTO, etc. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Are we? Do we still have the organs playing, or have we got a, a new
1: new theme song yet? Yeah, you
0: just played them, didn't yeah? you? Yeah, oh, did I? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was obviously wasn't
1: uh, paying attention. Man, you,
0: yeah. We we went on a company retreat um, two weeks ago, and the developers had a hackathon overnight, and they developed all these cool products. And the non-developers, we worked on a song for the podcast, which came out pretty well because one of our team members, Joe Small. Um she has a magnificent voice and I wrote a little song and I I played the keys as well but it's it hasn't been edited and put together yet. I, so. I was I was hoping to have it for this one but I just didn't quite get around to it. We'll have to wait for that one for an upcoming podcast. Maybe yeah. next podcast. And you know, it was a catchy tune because when we woke up in the morning, two <laughs> of the team came up to me and said, "Oh my god, that song is just going on in my head." You know, <laughs> so look forward to it next yep. episode. I'm hopefully to it's have exciting. it. it, it the, the It's a Monkey Podcast song put together by the '89 and team, written, produced, sung, the whole bit. Um,
1: <laughs> very, very few podcasts can uh, can say that. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I mean, their own theme so
0: i think i think we should be proud we even had jimmy who's a hippie 73 year old admin person he was uh banging the the djembe and chelsea was playing the tambourine and uh, we've actually we've actually got some video footage which and that that we captured that we'll put up um but coming up on the show today we have a terrific interview with the co-founder of yama adam personi if you work in the enterprise no doubt you have come across Yammer, even if your organization does not use it. Yammer is sort of like the Twitter for enterprise. I mean, it's it's really very close to the Twitter for enterprise. And Adam Pazzoni is the co-founder and CTO. And boy, does he know about enterprise and um, everything related to social and enterprise. So that's coming up later on in the show. So stay tuned. As always, you can tweet us. Um, at Monkey Podcast. You can email us at podcast.itzamonkey.com. At we have a Facebook page. Uh, we love hearing from you. A couple of you have tweeted us, so thank you very much. Um, but let's, as always, start with a little bit of the tech news, what's going on in the industry and um, this week or the last couple of weeks. James, there's been a lot of um, political things going on in the industry. Actually, there always are political things. We put people in a room, there's politics. Yep, a few uh, misplaced dongle jokes and uh, things go go badly quickly. So yeah, men men will always not be far from their the, the the teenage boy inside of them, will they?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's the debate. I think that's that's the that's the whether they can uh, restrain themselves from doing that in public place or not. That's the that's the problem. I think in the same case.
0: So let's just give a, a little bit of a context to what's going on. I'm sure most people um, aren't aware of this story but there was a big conference last week in san francisco i think it's called pycon mm-hmm. which is a python developers conference now python is one of the languages one of the open source uh, languages that i know google uses a lot um a very popular language we don't do all that much with python do we
1: no i think the uh, the 89 uh, n sorry the it's a monkey site itself is in python but uh, yeah very few of our systems are in python
0: but uh, it is popular, and uh, I know Google. Google has used. Um, you, you even notice it on some of their forums and things. They've still got the Python extension on some of their URLs. .py, I think. Okay, cool. So anyway, there was this conference last week, and there was someone up presenting, and they, the. Um, what was the session about? Uh, I don't even know how, how did how did dongles come into it at all
1: so so what it was is that there was it was a panel session or something like that um and and uh there was a group of people who were sitting in one of the panels i don't think they were actually doing anything at the time they weren't they weren't actually giving the talk they were just listening to the talk and one of the ladies on the panel she she heard some guys behind her making jokes um they but it wasn't
0: related to the panel at all
1: no it wasn't related to the panel at all it was it was unrelated um i think there was uh there was some joke about like forking repos or something yeah um but i don't think that was i i think that i think she just misheard that one that wasn't actually a joke but then yeah somebody did just make a random joke about um the size of dongles whether they're whether bigger is
0: better, or something like that. So I'm sure that joke's been made probably 60 billion <laughs> times before. I've probably made it a few times myself.
1: <laughs> I think it was. I think, uh, but the problem was obviously the the context and the fact that it was in this public place. And um, and yeah, it made um, it made uh, this woman feel uncomfortable. Um, and I think there was there was something in the talk itself where it was sort of talking about uh, young women in technology. And I oh, think it was okay. that sort of comparison where she was just um, yeah, she just felt when she thought about. Thought about that—that that she needed to do something. Um, Any yeah, other controversy is the fallout of everything that's gone
0: after that. So she turned around. So she she heard them making these jokes about big don- dongles and forking, which both are legitimate tech words. That there was obviously innuendos. She turned around, smiled at them, and took a photo of them. They apparently I don't think took thought about it much at the time, and then she tweeted the photo, and she's head of developer relations or was head of developer, developer relations at SendGrid. Yeah, she's the developer advocate at Developer SendGrid, advocate, which is
1: actually a product we use.
0: It sends uh, emails for people, basically. It's an yeah. email sending system. Great, great service, great product. And then these two guys, apparently, then, of course, this went around the internet and these two guys lost their jobs, I believe. And then ultimately, um, she lost her job as well, and Sengrid have come out and said why, um, you know, if she, you know, as a developer, advocate, and now it's it's compromised, um, you know, her relationship with the community, and um, look, it's it's one of these juicy stories in a way that you can go round and round and round, and in retrospect, there's usually, um, um, you know many parties that have led to the drama, not just, not just one. Um, I, 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 what unsettles me a little bit is the taking um, private conversations public. Um, the whole, you know, these guys were having a private conversation and no doubt inappropriate and at a conference, you know, just disrespectful in general to, to, to talk during a session, let alone make sexual innuendos. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. I mean,
1: I, I think I, I definitely, you know, I probably came at it from that angle initially. I mean, I still do think that there's, you know, I don't necessarily think she was entirely wrong. I mean, there's it's a very difficult situation in that, um, you know, I was trying to think if, if I was in that position, if I was, you know... Because I was in sort of a, a female-dominated conference and you know, women were making jokes about things that you know, were very female-orientated and I already kind of felt like a little bit intimidated just by being there. Like I think this kind of stuff would, uh, would, would be very hard and it's very hard to deal with it as well. Like
0: If you're in that situation, how do you then, then react to it? Um, you know what I think the one mistake that she made is first step, turning around and just saying, guys, not cool. Well, the problem with that is that it's it's easy
1: to say, but it's also harder to do. I mean, like, if you're in that position where you're kind of feeling like it's, you know, inappropriate sexual comments, then, like, and you're in a big conference, I mean, kind of pulling somebody up on it, you know, feels a bit, feels very... I think it would be a very hard thing to do. I think I'd find it difficult to do. I mean, yeah, then again, you know, posting in public online is probably a very similar sort of thing. You know, you're still taking it, um, you're still making action a prop upon it. Um, look, I think I think the real problem is just the way everybody handled it, the fact that it then blew out beyond that. Like, I think both, you know, the companies involved could have, you know, just kind of, obviously there were things that need to be dealt with there, but they didn't need to make a big public issue out of it. You know, the fact that the, the employee was sort of fired straight away from the other company, you know, they've said there were other issues involved, but if it was, they probably should have waited. They shouldn't have just done it. Reactionarily, you know, straight off the event, and then also Sangred as well. The fact that they fired um, the woman as well, like I think that you know these kind of things, they're probably they just feel a bit wrong that people shouldn't have you know lost their jobs over this over this type of action.
0: Um, I, f- I feel the one the one thing that comes to mind is lost opportunity for everyone. I mean, this whole issue of women in tech is bouncing around. Of course, Sheryl Sandberg's come out with a book called Lean In, and there's this whole issue about women in tech. By the way, we'll be talking to. Um, someone about this, an, an ink writer. Um, I'll pull up the name um, that I've been liaising with. and struggling with schedules, but we are going to talk about this whole issue about women in tech. Is there a problem, you know, or is it just one of these things that women don't want to work in tech, etc.? But I, I do take your point as very valid. That you know, as a woman in these environments, it's probably it's probably not not their comfort zone to start off with.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a very it's a very difficult situation for them to be in. Um. But yeah, look, you know, I think basically everybody who's involved in the drama has done the wrong thing if they've done the opposite of what they did. Um, in every, in every case along the line, they probably, you know, would have died out a lot quicker and, you know, a lot less people would have been negatively affected. Um,
0: but lost opportunity for these companies to finally address this issue of women in tech, misogyny, what gets blah blah blah. To instead of firing the people, right? Let's uh, let's live stream a discussion, a panel. Let's get honest. Let's get raw. Let's get real. And yes, yeah, good idea. You know, and let's and and SendGrid could have really led the charge on this and just saying, well, there's. You know A lot of A lot of the time When these big arguments are Also a little bit of Proxy wars For other things That are underneath it as well Yeah
1: They could have owned The conversation As opposed to just Sort of You know Become victims of it um, Yeah It was de- definitely A lost opportunity Yeah definitely
0: I, th- I think also didn't Wasn't there a, a, a denial of service Attack on SendGrid Yeah
1: Actually there was Anonymous Uh Anonymous caught on this whole situation or a group of Anonymous people and uh, yeah, they, they did a denial of service attack against Sengrid.
0: So Anonymous being the vigilante group of loosely organized hackers that sort of, uh, you know, take up social, quote unquote, causes yeah. for the social and,
1: good. And the timing for Sangrid as well. I mean, even though they've said it wasn't because of the denial of service attack that they, that they they that they fired this woman, you know, that they did it and the attack stopped. Like, you know, it's just it was just really bad timing from everybody involved. Like, if they if they were going to take action, you know, they should have at least given her some time to respond, and you know, maybe some education, give her an opportunity to like. Uh, you know, patch up the situation as opposed to just, you know, reacting to this denial of service attack is just a very weak thing, I
0: think, for a company to do. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be beholden to a group like Anonymous. Now, I hope because I'm saying that, you know, they don't cause problems for us. But I mean, <laughs> you know, and some of their causes I think are great and others I think are, are, are borderline. But it's, yeah, you don't want to see a company like SendGrid to, you know, negotiating with vigilante groups and that. I I, I think, I'm sure there's smart people behind SendGrid. I have no doubt they, they understand these big issues. Yeah, I, I
1: highly doubt that that was the reason they did it but it's just is they just shouldn't have done it at the time when they were having malasat service attack telling them they should do this thing then they did it anyway yeah like it's just a really bad timing on their part to
0: do it so. i've got the um Saint-Grid official statements in front of me saying effective immediately Sangred has terminated the employment of adria richards while we generally are sensitive and confidential with respect to employee matters the situation has taken a public nature we have taken action that we believe is in the overall best interest of Sengrid, its employees, and our customers. As we continue to process the vast amount of information, we will post something more comprehensive. So, yeah, a very, a very, um, and then they posted um, a longer one. Um, and the, and I, I won't read the whole thing, but the last paragraph. Uh, in the last two paragraphs. The SenGrid developer evangelist responsibilities to build and strengthen our developer community across the, blo- the globe. In light of the events over the last forty-eight plus hours, it has become obvious that her actions strongly divided the same community she was supposed to unite. As a result, she can no longer be effective in her role at SenGrid. In the end, the consequences that resulted from how she reported the conduct put our business in danger. Our commitment to our 130 employees, their families, our community members, and our more than 130,000 valued customers is our primary concern. Fair enough. Again, I think lost opportunity. I think if they dealt with this in a in a different way, they, as you say, they could have owned the debate around this. But um, yeah, messy. Yeah, definitely messy for all. I mean, the woman in tech thing, you, you know, is is strong and and loud and a and a worthwhile debate and i know at every tech crunch disrupt conference the the women split into two camps which is sort of interesting the ones that feel offended that there's not more discussion about women in tech and the ones that feel that women should just get involved with tech and let's not have discussions about why they are not women in tech yeah yeah it's a difficult
1: topic (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we've sort of tiptoed around the edges of it
0: (laughs) Anyway, that's there. If you want to Google that, we'll we'll put a link to that uh, VentureBeat story that that covers it um, a little bit. So that was the PyCon fallout. So, yeah, just, and people, I mean, people just, when they're in public places and they play, you know, at conferences, and I don't know, people do some really, I mean, Yeah, you know, it, it just amazes me how people don't err on the side of caution, of, of not offending people and, you know, putting them. Yeah. Why yeah. make life hard, potentially hard for yourself? Definitely. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard enough as it is. We got all the answers on the podcast, don't we?
1: <laughs> solve solve uh, world, world peace. It's, we'll bring that on.
0: It's always easy to sit as a commentator in hindsight. You yeah. Know. Um, okay, so what else do we have going? Twitter have launched a fun Twitter feed.
1: Mm-hmm. It's called Twizzitor, Which is a Twitter account And yeah, essentially it's a a, a, a a computer That's sitting in their front front desk And it takes photos of pictures uh takes pictures of people Who go into their office and then tweets it out Onto this Twitter account um, Yeah, so you can follow it It's uh, at, at Twizzator, And yeah, basically you'll see a picture of anybody Who goes into the Twitter office And walks up to the computer
0: It's pretty fun
1: it's pretty cool. I think it's a very, very cool idea. It even tweets out their uh, screen name as well. So must have some sort of prompt to type in your screen name.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: But, yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea for business. You know, it'd be really cool to have that in, you know, other businesses as well. That's a you good know, point. Like, you know, Google or something in their, their office. You know, see any sort of <laughs> big celebrities coming in who want to tweet out. Or
0: even or even just, you know, the, the big... Like, "Quote unquote boring," you know. Enterprise companies. I mean, it'd be sort of cool if they have this thing in reception and, um, yeah. Just put a bit of a, and this ties in nicely with our discussion later about enterprise and social. This will actually, you know, put a little bit of a face. Obviously, this confidentiality thing, confidentiality thing. Sometimes it's often they're not so.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's optional So you have to actually go up and say you want your photo taken Yeah. And In that case, you know, it's really fine. you know And it's kind of like a way to sort of have the You know, you can kind of say you were there But without sort of, you know, being overly yeah. You know, like it's very difficult to, uh, The humble brag or whatever whatever it's called Like you can kind of, you know Say, you know, I've been to the Twitter's, Twitter's office And you've got proof of it as well yeah. So It's uh, probably that element of it too
0: I, I've been to the old Twitter offices. I had a meeting there, and uh, I remember I got a thrill out of sending a tweet from Twitter. <laughs> and I would have, I would have loved to have sort of gotten a bit of a photo there. These, these, these are from the new offices, though. I believe they got some really fancy new offices. Oh yeah, um, just downtown in San Francisco. They negotiated a a uh, they got some tax break from San Francisco. Uh, yeah, vaguely remember that. They even negotiated, part of the deal was to give them free advertising on Twitter. That was part of their currency that they negotiated with. So, they cool. said to San Francisco, we'll give you some. Yeah, you it's know, very cool. Um, they were originally in Soma, but I think they're now actually on Market Street, if anyone's listening knows San Francisco. Um, Google shut down its RSS reader.
1: Mm-hmm. Google reader, the latest in their their line of dead dead products is uh launched a little bit of controversy um i mean one of their products that i currently use which is sort of the the iGoogle homepage. i google yeah. home page and everybody knows that one essentially it's just like a i think you're the only one still
0: using it <laughs>
1: there's lots of people using it just just like a list of feeds um still my homepage. So why do
0: you like it why do you like it
1: um, just aggregates content it's, nicely for so you. So it's a lot like Google Reader in a sense that it's an RSS reader, but yeah. it's not the full stories. It's just links to stories. Right. So like kind of like having a dashboard of all the sites that I read and I can just see the headlines in one big page and I can just go to any of the, the headlines that interest me. Um, and so I have other sort of social news sites like Hacker News and that kind of stuff on there as well so that the popular stories on there. But yeah, essentially it's just like a big list of headlines that I can go directly to the sites themselves
0: aggregators of aggregators aggregating content yep. of several sites aggregating yeah. content of but is rss still relevant with twitter i mean well, that has twitter that's really used yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the whole rss look I mean there's there's two sides
1: to to this situation that makes interest and there's first of all there's the rss side you know what does that say if google are no longer providing you know the reader product does that mean rss is
0: you know going out the window why would they shut it down though i mean by the sounds of things there are a lot of people using it i mean what's so the reason i mean google's gone through quite a big round of uh
1: shutting down of various products um and i think the reason behind that was something uh larry page said a while ago something like i think it was him something something about uh more wood behind fewer arrows, or something to that effect. So essentially, more
0: wood behind fewer arrows.
1: So what they're trying to do is they're kind of trying to uh, obviously take all of their focus engineering it. talent, yeah, and focus it. So they have tons of separate products currently, and they're basically progressively just removing the ones that aren't sort of aligned along their core goals, that they don't think they can make a big impact on. You know, obviously, there's quite a big tail in supporting something like Google Reader. You know, there's obviously a lot of in order to do something like google reader just from a technical perspective it's actually quite complex um, and there's obviously a lot of revenue that would go into supporting this and but probably worse off is just the manpower they have to have you know somebody technical there that could be otherwise doing something that they consider more important um, i think that's probably the reason behind shutting like it down google
0: Mi- what's that social network google has google is a google minus uh, yeah minus <laughs>
1: yeah that be it yeah google ad <laughs> um, Google Book, Google Book, yeah. G-book. No, actually, we
0: love Google and we love Google Plus. I just love. I hope. I hope I don't annoy anyone, but I. I just yeah. I love poking a bit of fun in it. But yeah, I th- they're throwing a lot of resources at Google Plus. Yeah, Apparently I mean that is. That is definitely one of the
1: places that they're putting all this extra resources into. But, um, you know, I think the other interesting consequences come out of this, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, it's being shut down and it's obviously impacting those users, it's sort of the wider impact of it. You know, if Google was having this pattern of shutting down these products, that still have quite a large adoption. Um, you know, it's things like they recently brought out a new product called Google Keep which essentially is like a note-taking tool.
0: Oh, uh, that's the competitor to Evernote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
1: So it in, it's integrated Google Drive. You know, as soon as that came out, people were saying, well, you know, why should I use this product? You know, if I've been using Google Reader for years and they've just shut it down. You know, they have got better things to do. Like, you know, why is Google Keep going to be any more core to their business than Google Reader? And it means that if, if Google do put out these products and progressively get rid of them, they have this problem where... You know, people are going to keep on second guessing everything they mm. put out, and they have to then make this value judgment on how important that product is going to be to the company itself. Well, particularly they're if they're the
0: it. type of products where where you where you build up a social graph, or you you have existing legacy information, or something. Yeah, where they shut down too. Yeah. yeah. Look,
1: I mean, with these products, you know, Google. they're not
0: just utilities.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, Google are providing ways out, and and. Um, and ways to, you know, export your data and use other products. But, you know, it's kind of beside the point. You have to always make a decision when you use a new product and whether you're going to invest the time into learning it and getting used to its patterns. And there's a huge cost to the users who have to actually switch out of Google Reader. Like, there is actually a significant cost in learning the new product and getting used to it. Um, And, you know, that really does actually, I think, really affect sort of the core brand. Like, I think this is a really, uh, you know, significant particularly for tech people who are using these products mm. i think it really does actually undermine the brand value of a lot of these new things that google are bringing out
0: i mean you would um, think that they could maybe sell it or offload it or open
1: source it that's what you'd hope i mean if, if they could sell it i mean i'm sure there'd be tons of companies i mean there are competitors who are now taking these people on board but like if they could have you know yeah outsourced it or or, or, sorry open sourced it or sold it i mean then at least it could have continued to exist in some other way Um, it just seems so
0: doesn't make sense it doesn't
1: make sense it seems so sort of narrow-minded like it's beyond the fact that like obviously in terms of revenue it doesn't make sense to you know sell it or whatever they're not going to get very much money for it but just in terms of the way it affects the brand like i think companies really need to be careful about the way they handle these end-of-life situations because you know, if you if you're continuing to push out stuff at the same time, you're getting rid of it. Those people that you've annoyed by getting rid of the product are going to be much harder to sell on this new thing you've got. So,
0: I mean, yeah, then you know, the question is, what type of moral commitment do you have to customers that 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 have backed you and supported you and yeah. used your products? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's ultimately it's their prerogative, but you know, they've got the big you know, don't be evil. Yeah, and definitely on shutting down a service that's been around for a long time. It's not like you know Google Wave or some of the other new products. I mean, I mean Google Reader has been around for a long time. Yeah, and it, I mean it's still really, really popular. Like it's not, it's not a small product. Um,
1: I think you know people are very regularly using this, particularly from the outcry that's happened in the tech community. I think you know if you were i mean it basically was the dominant rss reader in the space
0: you know what i think thinking along conspiracy theory lines because they're not i mean they, they're obviously not stupid people mm-hmm. they're some of the you know the highest concentration of geniuses in our industry and google i mean they've got all these legends they've managed to I, I would say this has all got to do with google plus in what way I think they've got some grand plan, just like mm. tw- just like Twitter, essentially, you know, uh, overtook R- or replaced RSS feeds. Ah,
1: so you mean they actually actively want to get rid of
0: RSS? So, th- so they've got some longer term game plan mm. to push everyone into Google yeah. Plus somehow. They've got some long, t- and that maybe that's why they didn't sell it. They don't to, um, open source it. They seem to have some long-term vision for Google+. They've already got everyone's, um, you know, demographics. Even though no one's posting around it, they've got everyone's gender, and not everyone's, but a, a, a mm. massive majority. You know, everyone's been forced essentially to sign up for Google+.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's
0: that's the only thing I can think of is that in the same way that Twitter has has won that for now that mm. if somehow they plug in something into Google+, I mean, what would happen if somehow they morphed, you know, Google Reader yeah, into maybe. Google+. Plus? Uh, it does
1: seem like a very strange decision, though. I mean, particularly because they don't really own the space right now. Uh, well, maybe from their perspective they do. But, um, uh, you know, I think a lot of activity happens outside Google. And also the RSS is a great way for computers to read things but social networks aren't a great yeah, way for computers exactly. to read things so it does seem like an odd decision for them
0: i mean we use rss, RSS a lot for on our check dog product a lot it's, it's you know exactly you know the check dog systems reads our customers rss feeds yeah. And yeah it's a very useful way of of, of managing yeah. that side of things
1: i mean i would hate it if i i mean i'm yeah I like, I'm, I'm definitely going to continue using rss you know i would particularly for news consumption and, you know, social media stuff is still, you know, the best way. You need some way to get that data. It's basically still the only way you, that you pull, you know, data consistently out of websites, you know, on sort of a scheduled basis when you're sort of reading new content that's coming up. You know, you can't use blah, social, news, social news is great for sort of discovering stuff, but once you've already discovered it and you want to keep getting a feed of it, and, you mm. know, RSS is still, still the way to go.
0: I have to say I've never gotten into, into the RSS thing. Yeah. Never. You don't it just, consume meter that way. Just never. Somehow I like a bit more of a discursive, semi-random. You know, the mm. t- my Twitter feed is is I'll, I'll go back to two or three sites regularly. You know, TechCrunch and and um, but somehow it just it just comes to me. i have just never yeah, just never gotten into it, which is quite interesting. But yeah, look at there's definitely some longer-term play there. They there's a reason for their decision they just there just has to be although maybe we project genius onto them you know I mean we know we we faced with all a zillion decisions every day some of them are right some of them are wrong some of them we don't know yet and um, some decisions we don't even know we should be making that we haven't so it's you know I think it's just the scale of things are different yeah, definitely, um, yeah. behind them but anyway time will time will tell um Anyway, you're listening to Kevin and James on the It's a Monkey podcast episode number 16. Please tweet us, please email us. Um, James, what do you think of the new Check Dog ad? Oh, it's great. <laughs> the That barking in the background. Yeah, it's really good. It's nice <laughs> and dramatic. Yep. I think we're going to get a new Managed Flitter ad as well. That one's been running for a while. Mm. Um, maybe we can have like an orchestral soundtrack to that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> something a different well or birds um, chirping chir- chirping in the background
0: yeah look um like i'm open to you know let's let's be open to it all if you're listening to the podcast and you uh want to record an ad for us we we can even we can even pay you or give you some shout outs um, but we we're looking at freshening up some of our ads and um, some of our songs Anyway, I'm um, going to take a very short break. Speaking of CheckDog ads, listen to our new CheckDog ad. And more importantly, try out that product. You know, it's speaking of enterprise and tech, CheckDog is this quiet little achiever. It's not in social media. It's not in user-generated content. It's not in video. It's not in mobile. It's just this little product that helps you keep your website free from broken links, broken images, and links. And it just does something useful. And I know I've got a vested interest, but every time I use that product, I'm like, Damn, this is a nice product. So go to checkdog.com, give it a go, and we'd love your feedback. We have all sorts of companies using that product, including big ones like BBC News and News Corp. And I um, wonder if we should tweet Rupert. I tried. To t- I tweeted Rupert Murdoch once, and I actually asked him if I could do lunch with him. <laughs> no response. <laughs> when he was in Australia, I said, Rupert, I'd love to do lunch with you. It's pretty bold. Um, look... You know, I mean, we got we got Phil Leibin uh the interview by me tweeting him saying Phil, I'd love you on the show, and he tweeted me back, and he said, Great, "Kevin, yeah. let's do it." Sometimes it works. You know, sometimes it works. So, yeah. um, but Rupert, nah, no, no go. Yeah,
1: must have had other plans that day.
0: He's an interesting guy. You know, he's he's um, started with one newspaper, and um, you know, landed up buying MySpace, which didn't really end well mm. but i i had you know he tweets from his ipad and uh, you know the guys what's he is in his 80s is he wow he's in his 80s yeah getting yeah. up there yeah so um anyway we'll be back after this ad with kevin and james we'll be talking to adam Pizzoni, who is the co-founder and cto of Yammer, and we'll be talking about all things enterprise so stay tuned and thanks for listening The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily
2: review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com. Helping the world's leading websites keep
0: their content error-free. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, CEO and co-founder of 89N. We talk about everything relating to the tech economy, And uh, one of our products that we have been using every single day since, I'm pretty sure it was about September 2008 when it launched at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, I think it was called the TechCrunch 50 then, is a product called Yammer. No doubt you've heard about it and probably use it. And I'm very happy to say, at the end of the Skype line in San Francisco, from Sydney to San Francisco, I have the CTO and co-founder of Yammer with me, Adam Pazzoni. Adam, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Adam Yammer. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's had an interesting evolution. You guys are now under the the, the Microsoft banner. You've definitely one of the fastest growing enterprise plays. Tell us a little bit about how, I mean, it was an interesting sort of um, problem you seek to solve. What was the initial genesis of Yammer?
2: You know, back in 2007, David Sachs and I were at a consumer social networking company called Genie, and it was very obvious to us, uh, even at that point, that social communication really represented a huge upgrade in, in sort of how we communicated and that that would go to the enterprise. That, that would be a, a benefit to how enterprise is communicated as well. Frankly, at the time, I don't know that we even understood all of the benefits and sort of what would come next. We just really felt strongly that, that this was going to happen. Fast forward to today, I think we have a much clearer understanding of what's going on, why people are using it, what, what value the product brings. And it, it turns out it is different than in the uh, consumer space. Um, As you mentioned, we've been growing really quickly, and I wish I could take total credit for that. I think that the timing was just perfect. It was sort of a a perfect storm of uh, the cloud being more readily accepted by enterprises, uh, the importance, obviously, of mobile and access anywhere. And frankly, the the larger trend being companies suddenly found that that their current communication, knowledge management, the tools they use to organize and communicate, just couldn't keep up with the level of change and disruption that they were dealing with, that the, the employees had didn't have enough context, they didn't weren't aligned enough with the higher-level objectives, they couldn't change fast enough. And the companies that are, are using Yammer most successfully are the ones that are essentially using it for that purpose. It's, we talk a lot about flattening hierarchies and transparency and open communication, but I think all of that boils down to making companies more agile by being able to, have them know what they know better by by having them be able to organize faster, by by having information disseminate faster, by having them be able to pull in resources when they're needed without having uh, it be so top-down. So I know we sort of covered a couple a lot of things there, but <laughs> I think that's been the evolution of the journey. And I feel like we're actually still in the very beginning of that journey. And a couple of years from now, social and the enterprise will look very different than it does today. Um, and, we'll pro- and I think at some point we'll become the dominant form of communication.
0: You're right. You did bring up a lot of uh, a lot of fascinating points. The one thing I did want to mention was I actually was a user of Genie and I thought it was a fantastic product. I remember the first time that I used it. I thought, "Wow, real game changer. The UI was really intuitive and terrific." And I mean, was it Facebook that 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 killed Genie?
2: No, Genie actually recently merged with MyHeritage. So they're they're actually still around. Uh, it, it's true that so Genie kind of pivoted to be more on the genealogy side because it does seem like most family communication happens in Facebook. I mean, almost all consumer communication happens in Facebook, basically. So just
0: just uh, to, just just to tell people that they're not aware of Genie. Genie was a sort of family tree type of product where you could map out your family tree and invite people, and you would get this really. Cool um, sort of overview of your of your family and extended family.
2: It's a really fun product to work on too. Yeah,
0: and um, of course David Sachs is ex ex PayPal, and and I, I've uh, followed him. Actually, one of our products was was launched at the same TechCrunch that you guys were launched at. So it's uh, I remember it very well when you guys were were uh, David was on stage and launched that product.
2: Yeah, I was, I was behind him on stage driving the, the demo, so I remember it well.
0: It's, it's incredible how fast our industry moves. I mean, one thing that I think is uh, that I found uh, immediately fascinating about Yammer, which uh, problem it solves immediately, and to this day it's one of the reasons that it adds so much value to our internal organization, is that it really solves that problem of using email as a project management update tool, which is really doesn't work.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, people get confused to think about what social is. They often think social is about feeds or about everything being public. Um, I think social, in our view, is a bit more flexible than that. Social is just a communication system where it's possible to have a, a broader audience that can see content than you've addressed it to. I know that sounds esoteric. But the point is if you can communicate in a way where you're allowing a broader audience to possibly see what you're doing, then it allows for a kind of discovery and a kind of self-organization that prior communication systems didn't allow. And so another way to think of it is um, the way that we've tried to solve the knowledge management problem in the past is by having this separate system which does knowledge management than our communication system. But in reality, if we're just communicating in a more open way, then that's just built into the system. Then, then sort of you have an emergent knowledge management, if you will. But you're right. You know, sort of a funny thing because it's, it's email has obviously revolutionized the way we communicate. Email when email hit companies in the 90s, if you didn't adopt email, you were just going to be slower. You were going to there's no way you'd be able to compete. I think we're going through a similar uh, revolution now. Uh, obviously, that we think a lot of the problems with email are not inherent to it, just being a communication system. It's that if I want you to be able to see something, I have to send it to you, <laughs> and it goes in your to-do list, which is also known as your inbox. Mm, exactly. uh, and that's just that sort of creates all of the the consternation around it. Um, but when I think about the future of of social and email, I think they come together over the time. I don't think that that email just goes away or something. I think that we're going to take the best of all these worlds and bring them together.
0: Yeah, and email has had a resurgence in a way as almost a notification tool, uh, uh, you know, regarding your social media networks. And in that way, it still actually provides value, but with the core communication and and visualization of the communication, as you mentioned, happening on the social network itself. I mean, I think it's not an esoteric idea of just thinking in our organization. When I see the Yammer, Yammer feed, there is definitely something magical about us getting, me getting in the morning and seeing what's going on as opposed to the email inbox.
2: Yeah, you know, one of the best parts about the acquisition, the most exciting parts, has been being involved in the Microsoft network, Yammer network, which has 90,000 people in it, and it's just so amazing to be communicating with people across such a large company, and to see the breadth of conversations, and to see the breadth of ideation, and how they're interacting. Uh, you know, we we were a smaller company; we got to 460 people. We we had never seen, we never really been in such a large network and seeing what that looks like and on one hand it was like, exciting to see that the product worked well in that scenario but it also gave us a lot of insights into how we can make the product better for companies of that size
0: adam how did companies like microsoft and oracle and even salesforce miss this mm-hmm. boat i mean how come they didn't see the need for a product like this i mean they they live eat and breathe enterprise
2: yeah That's a, so here's my theory on that, and this, this is my sort of theory on consumerization, why that word even exists. Uh, Rewind back to the 90s, enterprise and consumer software were actually pretty similar as it related to end users. You had Office, you know, and, and you, you didn't really have a distinction. We had the Internet and the stuff was on the Internet. Um, post-2000, there were two uh, two groups that innovated in different directions. In the consumer world you had consumer software companies really innovating in how they built software for end users. I think it was the hidden innovation of the 2000s. It was about being data-driven, about rapid iteration. It was about being able to go very quickly between developing and A-B testing and collecting feedback and then making your product better in an provable way for end users. Simultaneously, in the enterprise, the, the end user, of enter- or, or rather the buyer of enterprise software wasn't the user, it was IT, was IT and, and they had certain things they wanted to feel comfortable. And so enterprise software companies innovated in how they built software for IT, for the enterprise. It was about security and compliance uh, and governance and things like that. So you fast forward to 2007 when we launched, I think we were one of the early companies to really bring those two together. To say, you know what, we can build enterprise software with the same constraints around governance, compliance, security, but build it in a much more consumer way, being rapid iterative, using data. And what that meant, and the whole point of developing that way is, A, you can, you can sort of see trends as they happen and adapt much more quickly, whether that's new interfaces or mobility, uh, but it also gives you this tight connection with your end users. We call it listening to the silent majority, the people that aren't going to fill out surveys. They're, they're not necessarily the buyer, but their behavior influences or tells you how, what, whether they like the software or not. Uh, so I think that that's a lot of why they missed it, is that they were just on these long cycles that were fine for what the enterprise wanted, whereas the consumer world was just in rapid iteration mode. But now we're in a, an interesting period where we sort of mostly solved the security compliance thing, everybody's happy there, and now we have to bring these worlds together. We have to, we have to start building enterprise software for end users in a much more consumer-like way.
0: How big of an impact is the trickle down effect of consumers spending their downtime on things like Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, etc., and getting into the enterprise and just you know really demanding um, a, a similar type of experiences, not only just from a UI slickness side of things, but that type of um, you know fluidity and 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 int- intuitive type of communications? How big an impact is that in the inter- enterprise at the moment?
2: I don't think it's the spending that's influential. I think that the the cloud itself made this consumer software visible. Uh, But again, if you go back a decade, there really wasn't as big a difference between the the end-user quality of consumer versus enterprise software. That difference arose in the 2000s because of how they were building their software differently. So by the time you get to, say, 2007, when the word consumerization uh, becomes more common, uh, it, what happened was the gap had just grown too large. That, that was, I think, the, the catalyst for it, was the gap between the quality, the end-user quality of software and the consumer versus the enterprise had gotten so large, and at the same time, the accessibility of software because of the cloud had become so easy that you sort of immediately have a gap you have to fill, aka consumerization. I think the word consumerization is going to go away soon because we're closing that gap by developing software for the enterprise more like we develop it for the consumer world. Uh, which will be able to adapt much more rapidly and make sure that that gap stays closed. Because by, by using data, by being rapid, we guarantee that we're we're sort of building the software for the end user, which has, I think, been the success of, of Twitter and Facebook and uh, and LinkedIn and other consumer properties. And I, think, I think a lot of people think the success of those uh, properties is because they had really smart people that made good decisions. Uh, I, I don't think that's it, though, because I, I, they have really smart people that made good decisions, but so did enterprise software companies. I think that they had a software development methodology that had built in building good software and that that was the difference. Because, I, I, you know, MySpace had smart people too, but Facebook was able to iterate and learn faster and that's why they, they won, not because they made better decisions.
0: And that's exactly what I was going to say. The, the, the iteration cycle in consumer software up until now has, has, has really seemed to flourish and it's, it's served its well where the feedback loop in enterprise up until now seems to have been broken somewhat. True. And I think, I, I think yeah, it, but that's it, it, exa- and exactly as you said, because it's, it's the feedback loop came from the IT departments and not from the end users. So um, part of it was
2: with on-prem software, you can't release that quickly, obviously. That's, I think, a fundamental flaw of on-premise software that people think that the cloud was really about cost savings, or I don't think it's anything to do with that. The, the cloud was really about, it was the only environment where you could measure and improve in a rapid and, and iterative way. That, that's what the cloud's about to me. Um, and that's why the cloud, that's why the cloud, software, the cloud software is going to win overall because it'll just innovate and improve faster uh, than, than on-prem can keep up with. Yammer releases twice a week at this point, which for the enterprise is crazy. I mean, that's you know, the, I don't even know who's as close to us. Um, but that's where we're moving. Even Microsoft uh, Office is committed to increasing their release cadence in the cloud uh, to something much more akin to a consumer release cycle.
0: We can just go back to the early days. The Yammer user growth. I mean, you know, David was always on record just saying, you know, we're profitable and doing well from the very early days. What, what was driving that user growth? Was it was it purely word of mouth?
2: Good question. So, it, I think there were two things. One, we had built the product to be viral. We had built the product to uh, to have people invite other people and communicate with other people. Uh, and and obviously the product becomes more valuable the more people are using it.
0: But it was so only was viral with, within an organization. It wasn't viral to the extent that your right. consumer internet products are viral.
2: No, you're right. You're right. That was that was <laughs> that was a big problem. I think from there it was mostly word of mouth. I think uh, there was some internet work virality through our external networks, um, but mostly it was word of mouth. Which again I tie back to companies have been desperately looking for how to become more agile than they've been able to historically. And they've really seen Yammer as that potential you know, way to really drive a transformation into a much rapid, much more rapid cadence themselves. So the same thing that's happening with, with enterprise software beginning to release more frequently, I think it's just happening in general with companies. They have to learn and adapt faster, and they're looking for ways to do it. And Yammer sort of was part of that movement. We, we, we don't think we created the movement. We think it was happening even outside of us. Uh, and there was a lot of people talking about employee empowerment and about transparency and decentralization. And Yammer sort of fit that perfectly, that need that, that, that was brewing.
0: Did, were you guys one of the first, um, uh, you know, t- uniquely enterprise products especially designed for the enterprise as a freemium product? I mean I think there were a lot of consumer products that sort of you know found their way into the enterprise but were you one of the first was that we actually we are an enterprise product and we are actually a freemium product.
2: I think what was unique there was a couple smaller products that I think came before, not in social products, but products that were designed for the enterprise but meant to be freemium and viral. What was different was those tried to stay under the radar by by staying within pockets of the company. Yammer was the first enterprise product we built for the whole enterprise. We didn't let it be segmented. It was either your whole company or, or nothing, basically. So even though it's was and viral, it was very much meant to be enterprise-wide. Uh, and there still aren't that many products that are, that are like that today. Uh, it's funny because um, Steve Ballmer actually had a word for that. He called it yammerization, which is this idea that people could start using it like a freemium consumerized product, but that the company could eventually say, no, we really want to adopt this company-wide and, you know, we could claim the network or, uh, or really begin, adopt it at a whole enterprise-wide level.
0: How, how have things changed since you guys have been acquired by Amazon? I mean, I think it was sometime during last year, $1.2 billion, you guys got bought out. Has anything changed? I, I would imagine a lot has.
2: The biggest change is the Scale and scope at which we're thinking. You know, we were growing and having to constantly rethink our scale and scope as it was. Um, but Yammer, you know, Yammer has just gotten over seven million users. Uh, we're in 150 countries. We have offices: San Francisco, London, New York, Australia, and so we were already, you know, having to rethink our scale. But Office has a billion users. You know, Office is at a, a, a scale so far beyond where we are.
0: And I would imagine so that, that, we're that I would imagine that one billion users of Office are all paid users as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. No, I, I
2: don't know. I, I think so, yeah. Uh, I, but, so we're asking ourselves, man, how do you – it sounds like a crazy question. How do you get to a billion users? You know, how does that happen? And so we're just trying to rethink the world at a much larger scale, which you know, at the end of the day, like, our goal was not about just getting everyone using Yammer. Our goal was, man, there's a movement going on where companies are really fundamentally changing how they organize and work, and Yammer is a big part of that. How do the companies that have really adopted them have dramatically changed, where the people are happier to work there because they're more empowered and engaged, and the companies are more agile. How do we get that in the hands of more people? Well, now as part of Microsoft. We just have a much better set of assets and a a much better megaphone, if you will, to, to get to a larger group of people. So our effort right now is on still improving social. We think there's a long way to go. Integrating with Office because there's all these assets that we need to, to move Yammer from a place you talk about work to a place where you get work done. And then how do we get it out there using sort of all of the properties that, that Microsoft has to just get it in the hands of more people?
0: I think you guys are offering a huge amount of value for free. We've been, I mean, Yammer's core to our organization. We, we're tiny. We're less than 10 people. Um, we're just on about, you know, seven or eight people. And we've been on your free version forever.
2: Mm-hmm <laughs> It doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, it's also kind of, even today, I'm sort of blown away by the fact that this product works at a 10-person organization or a you know 300,000-person network. Um, that was our goal from the beginning, that that's part of the beauty of social products, is that you can have your sphere even inside of a large community. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy that we're so focused on that whole breadth of, of companies. We do monetize better in large companies. It happens to be that the things that we offer uh, you know, big companies sort of care about more. Uh, and that was fine with us. I mean, again, our, our, our real focus right now has, has primarily been on improving the product and improving our reach. Uh, still not as much sort of just sort of focusing on monetization as much. We've done well uh, uh, financially, and so we haven't had to push that too much. And now that we're part of Office, it's, it's just much clearer that um, we're part of Office. And so Office makes a lot of money. We, we can drive a lot of people to the cloud, to Office in the cloud, and make both products better simultaneously.
0: What um, What stack do you guys use internally? What do you What's some of Yammer's technologies? Well, yeah, as you can
2: imagine, our, our biggest tool is Yammer. I mean, we do everything on Yammer. Not only do we do everything on Yammer, we tend to do almost everything in the open on Yammer. We We have so many conversations, whether they're leadership conversations or. All of our projects are developed in public groups in Yammer so that everybody can see what's going on.
0: That's and super it's interesting. Phenomenal. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely oh, plug amazing. into those. I'd be really interested to see what, what goes on in those discussions.
2: Oh, it's amazing. Well, I mean, we have got a whole sidebar about this, but Yammer has a very, very unique software development methodology or such the way we build, uh, which I think was just sort of influenced by what we could do with our product and, and what our communication allowed us to do. We, we almost think of it as post agile. It's just very um, you know open, but it's it's not the without without structure. We, we create these cross functional teams of two to ten people for two to ten weeks that have a tech lead that's elected you know to that role that have total autonomy to, to edit anybody's code and and it's worked out really. Well. We've been able to really scale our engineering group without slowing down. You know our, our focus has been on velocity, uh, and but the product has been a huge part of that. That's our primary. Uh, communication tools, but we do everything in, in Yammer essentially.
0: Do, do more people use the Yammer clients or the web-based Yammer um, sort of interface?
2: Internally, I think it's mostly the web-based uh, clients. I, you know, this year we're going to have a pretty heavy uh, investment in mobile. We think that's a big, you know, that's obviously a huge us. In fact, one thing I'm really excited about is um, Yammer primarily, obviously, has been used by knowledge workers, people who have, who have a computer. Uh, but there's been a, a bit of a movement recently to get yammer in the hands of people who work at your company but aren't a knowledge worker. They don't even have an email address. They may be a a, a, a worker in a store or you know, out in the field. And I'm really excited about that, this idea that there's this huge contingency of people who work for companies who are disconnected and that we have an opportunity to really connect and, and get them aligned and give them a voice. So that's I know that's kind of a um, an aside. I don't even remember what the question was. No, actually. I,
0: find, I, <laughs> I find that fascinating. I mean, I think there must be you know people people construction workers that probably are f- familiar with updating a Facebook status and it's easy enough. But the whole email thing is just it's just a technical hurdle and it's just just not where they are at. So I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, everybody,
2: yeah, everybody's got a computer in their pocket now, and so we've got a lot of interest from retail, for example, whether it's. Um, like uh, grocery stores or retail where there's all these people on the floor. and Wouldn't it be great if they had a voice and they could get information and they could ask questions and, and be really connected to their company? So I'm, I think that, A, sort of makes the addressable market much larger, but I think will also have very, a big impact on, on
0: people's jobs. One, I use the Yammer clients on on my Mac, and I love it. Except the the notifications don't always seem to pop up, and I actually pinged your supporter. I think might have been a year or so ago, and just whinging a little bit about that. And they didn't really have much of a solution for that. Is that is that a known sort of thing that you guys are addressing, or is that something on my end? Not not to drag you into you tech support, but
2: know. <laughs> what I was going to say, just as an aside, is like one of my favorite parts about working Hammers, like in, in interviews and meeting people. It's so often somebody's like, "But oh, there's this thing that I really don't like or isn't working," and I, I love it because of course it means they're using the product, which
0: oh, we really pretty is unique it, we and really Is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we are we are going to be investing in native clients for um, for essentially for Mac and Windows and for. Uh, for mobile, which is you know Windows Phone, iOS, and, and Android, uh, I think in the long run we're going to be deprecating the the Adobe Air client because it's been very difficult to maintain and to sort of to keep it performant. And so we we really want to have a good desktop experience, but we're we're going to invest in native clients, which we've been working on internally.
0: Yeah, no, I really look forward to that because me having to, to to you know hit refresh every now and then to check what the staff are to just drives me a little bit bonkers. But um, yeah, no, it's that important. I, to, I personally to apologize. To
2: us. <laughs> I personally apologize for
0: that. Adam, it's been really fascinating. Um, it's it's really one of our core products, and, and I, I think I've personally helped the word of mouth along. Uh, I'm still, um, when I meet fellow CEOs in Sydney, Australia, and they start whinging about email, I say, you know, just use Yammer. It gets everything out of the out of the inbox. Um, Adam Pizzoni, CTO and co-founder of Yammer, really appreciate your time, and maybe we can talk to you again in the future uh, when you have um, something new to you know talk about in the enterprise and social it's certainly only the beginning of this uh, interesting phase.
2: Well great thanks very much you know actually Australia is one of our largest markets i think that culturally it's a good fit but uh, great to on your show.
0: appreciate your time thanks a lot adam bye bye thank you the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by manage flitter with manage flitter you can easily find out who isn't following you back find new people to follow Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free Budgie account. James, um, another really smart tech entrepreneur. Yeah, done, done amazing
1: things. I mean, the fact that they've done that uh, huge sell to Microsoft is very impressive, particularly with such a young company.
0: Oh, man. I mean,
1: <laughs> imagine being in that position, yeah.
0: One pretty billion amazing. dollars to Microsoft within whatever it is it's a few crazy, years. Yeah. It's um, you've it's got to amazing. be proud of that. Yeah, there must be uh, It's quite a big scale. I mean, their pricing
1: is still it's just three dollars per user per month, and that's that's where they make their the money
0: from just that single pricing plan. Yeah, and um, the CEO, you know, was on record pretty early in the piece saying that they were profitable. David Sachs. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. You know, I think uh, one of the interesting things that you talked about there was where they do a lot of their development in public. Um, like they use Yammer and they also use these public forums. So like, you know, we have, would have like internal chats about product features and that kind of stuff coming up. They obviously do a lot of this stuff in public using Yammer.
0: Although, really, although I did email the PR contact because hmm. I said I'd like to just have a look at these Yammer feeds and she said, no, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding they public internally
1: ah oh, is that what he meant mm, oh,
0: okay. I, th- I think that's what he meant because i wanted to see that i because yeah, yeah. i picked up that as well it's like wow cool i want to, i want to see what and um, she said yeah no i'm sorry That was a bit of a misunderstanding they they aren't they aren't exposed to the to the the masses it's an interesting idea though actually <laughs> come to think about it. Huh? a very interesting idea i think i think it's there's always something There's probably an artificial vulnerability you feel about just totally opening that up. I know even for us, we wouldn't really lose anything Mm. probably by opening up our Yammer feed. I, I, I don't even think a competitor would... You know, business is a complicated thing. It's a lot more than just a few Yammer posts. It's the culture. Yeah. It's the tech. It's the revenue. It's the brand. It's, the, it's 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 a million things. Opening up your Yammer feed isn't going to, you know... It's probably not that useful, actually, anyway. Like, I don't know if your customers would ever actually read that kind of stuff. I don't think your customers necessarily would read it. But, you know, people in the industry would... I mean, there's a lot of companies I'd be interested to see their mm. Yammer feed. You know, yeah, people like Twitter, yeah. for instance, and Facebook. And it'd be... You know, would a compromise probably a lot less than we'd like to believe? You know, you know, there's a saying in business that most bullets are self-inflicted. You know, most most companies lead to their own downfalls and whatever ways. You know, they or or Woody Allen's ninety percent of. Success is just showing up, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. You look at companies like Exxon, and you know all sorts of companies, and just it's all that internal chaos. Anyway, we digress. I mean, I'm in a bit of a digressing sort of mood. I think maybe because I'm I'm going away for Easter to, for lack of a better um, comparison, to the equivalent of Australian Burning Man, which sort of gets me into a bit of an expansive headspace. So I'm a bit all over the place today. Anyway, social and enterprise. Yeah, I, I, that, that was interesting. And it's a shame that um, I, the one thing that that I found interesting that he said was, you know, social is going to be a dominant form of communication within the enterprise, just like email was and wasn't before, you know, a whole new form of communication, which I think is interesting. Um, and, he, you know, basically, you, you know, enterprises will have to people in them will just have to hop on board if they just want to be efficient and Innovative and and contribute. Yeah,
1: it's it's very true. I mean, we've definitely found Yammer to be you know almost integral to our our workflow process. I, you know, it'd be I think we'd have a very different business if we weren't using Yammer. Um, you know, it was different before before we used it. Um, so yeah, it definitely does add a layer of efficiency to to the business.
0: Yeah, that as he as he commented, um, discovery and self organization. Mm. you know yeah that is that is really
1: interesting and the way people can kind of educate themselves as well about what else is going on in the business and you know the real problem with with a lot of business is lack of communication and having this stuff public and accessible and yeah available for self-education is yeah it's really interesting
0: yeah and also um you know i mean i think I think the whole crowdsourcing ability, you know, uh, via Yammer. And the thing is, people get it. They, they use Facebook. They use Twitter, which brings, uh, you know, so why shouldn't they work in the enterprise? And, you know, the very important point that he makes in the old days, whatever, pre-2000, that a lot of the enterprise decisions or the IT decisions were driven by the IT department. Mm-hmm. So products were built essentially for the IT department. Yeah. Whereas these days... <clears throat> And they're driven by the users. Yeah. The users say to the, you know, the decision makers, we are, you know, we need this, we need that, we use this at home, we use that at home. It's it's, it's driven from a totally different yeah. source, which which means the products are being created for the users, not the IT department.
1: Yeah, and that's how the sort of the, the word of mouth marketing comes into it as well. You know, it's all consumer driven. So it's all sort of, you know, people talking to their friends at other companies and, uh, you know, maybe even seeing them talk on their phones on Yammer. And, you know, that's how this kind of stuff
0: spreads. So,
1: yeah, it's a very interesting, very interesting product, very interesting space.
0: If you're interested in enterprise in general and enterprise and social, there is a fantastic article that came out about two months ago written by Mark Andreessen, And he um, pulled apart all these issues. Really long article. I think it was posted either on TechCrunch or Pando Daily. Cool. Um, it's Pando Daily. Do you read Pando Daily? Occasionally. Not, not that often, but every now and then. Yeah, ex-TechCrunch um, writer who started that. I hmm. forget her name. Sarah Sarah, Sarah Lacey. Lacey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they've they've got some terrific articles sometimes. Hmm. Um, cool. Anyway, it was either Pano Daily or... Uh, I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll put it on the show notes. By the way, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, if you actually go to our website... Um, we put some show notes and there's also the ability for you to comment as well which we really like so if you are listening just hop onto the itsamonkey.com site every now and then have a look at the show notes post a comment you don't have to have anything very significant to say but we like to hear some feedback but yeah that Mark Andreson article really terrific he is a terrific thinker like he's just really worth following his clarity yeah. of thought he's just he gets it yeah he's very smart he was, of course, the founder of Netscape. Um, I find, you know, and maybe maybe I'm just sort of projecting my own experience here, but I find that the tech people like Mark Andresen and like Adam Pizzoni that were around pre-2000 and the internet, dare I put myself in the <coughs> same category as them, but we have a... We have a sort of holistic perspective that's... Just, maybe it's just age and experience or something. But that whole cycle, that, you know, the, the dot-com of the 2000 was just such a specific cycle. you been through the fire, burnt yeah, by the fire. Yeah, so. and just, just the hype and the things that worked like Amazon and the things that didn't work. Mm-hmm. and You know, because both of these guys reflect back on those times a lot and how different it is now. And it it, it provides a really interesting reference point because yeah, the, the hype was just it was just unbelievable. I've never experienced hype like that ever. Like people like people's f- f- like the irrationality around mm. and and the multiples, uh, you know, the P multiples on, on on share prices were just I mean they would make Facebook now look like look like <laughs> value for money, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's you, crazy. You were pretty I mean you you were around but you were pretty young, weren't you? Yeah, I was messing around on the internet
1: back in those days, but I really yeah, I wasn't really affected by it. I wasn't doing any serious business on there, so before my time really
0: a little bit before your time cool Um, I think that's coming up to the end of the show we have some really interview interesting interviews coming up in the next couple of shows we're going to be we're going to be talking about startups in Africa uh, and South Africa in one of the upcoming shows um you know, Africa lacks an, an ecosystem. They, they lack certain infrastructural issues, even like power, etc. But there are actually some really interesting startups, of course, solving some, some unique problems to Africa. Um, and we'll be talking to someone actually in the, in the tech startup scene that's actually received some funding from Google Ventures. Oh, wow. For, I cool. think it's an incubator or accelerator of some sort. So I'm just busy setting up that interview. Um, we'll also be chatting to Meg Hirschberg, hopefully, as I mentioned about, um, she wrote a terrific article about uh, um, female entrepreneurs in Inc. magazine. I mention Inc. magazine every now and then. Um, terrific writer, terrific thinker. And we can talk about this whole issue about women in tech, the whole Sheryl sandberg leaning story. We can even ask her about this latest PyCon and what would have been a, you know, a better way best approach um, yeah best approach um, so we have some interesting stories coming up and um, thanks for joining us until next week if you celebrate easter happy easter if you celebrate jewish passover happy passover i think it's also there's the hindi festival of light oh yeah diwali D- 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 diwali yeah, D- that's so if you celebrate right, yeah. that happy diwali um, yep. anything else no sounds about it any Pretty sure that's it I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, happy happy Festivus to you all, and we'll catch you on episode number seventeen in a couple of weeks. Have
1: a good one.